Welcome to Winging It in Motown Radio, Brendan Smith edition. I'm your host, Brendan Smith's number one fan, Jeff Hancock. And I'm joined by Brendan Smith's number two fan, Prashanth. And I'm joined by JJ, who if you disagree with him on anything, he will ban you and block you for life. JJ, and then there's Kyle too. How are you doing, everybody? <laughs> the greatest day, day ever. It's the best day of my life. Uh, we are going to talk about the rise, the evolution, the arrival, Brendan Smith, eventually. But before we get to Brendan Smith, we're going to go back to the week that was. The Wings 2-1-1 over the four games since we last recorded. Victories over Ottawa and Boston. They lost to Colorado. And then there was that shit show against the Islanders. Quite frankly, I don't even remember what the fuck happened against the Senators. I just know they won the Boston game was a shit show but they won Colorado they should have won and they lost and fuck the Islanders so who wants to go first and talk about their impressions from the last four games well we played Ottawa yeah apparently I'm gonna go first and I'm gonna go ahead and say that this isn't your mama's podcast (laughs) (laughs) I told Jeff to say that but he wouldn't whatever no um the uh the Ottawa game I don't even really remember it but from what I from from the Avalanche game, they kind of pretty much dominated the entire game. But they kind of you know it was a shootout loss, so they got a point. But um, they should have had two. That's yeah, yeah absolutely. They but, shot him like it was like twenty two to three or something at one point. Yeah, it was. It was. Of course, he was off the charts. It was brutal. Was. But um, yeah, I mean, Mrazek had a stretch of two games where he was not the Mrazek that we know and love, but they got three points out of it. So I don't know if that's a good thing or if it's a bad thing because hopefully we're not seeing Mrazek like starting to digress, which, you know, we're all going to say that he's not, but he's been playing so well as of late that he might be due for a little bit of regression. But, um, you know, it, it, the, uh, <laughs> what did he have? Like he had like a sub eight, like 800 um save percentage in in the uh in 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 the boston game and uh they yeah, scored might, six might goals worse. they scored six goals so they what does it matter goals. oh oh the red wings scored six goals. yeah my bad the... yeah, oh bad. hey the ottawa game Phaneuf <laughs> made his debut and yeah. and zetterberg like went around him and scored oh, right. i remember that yeah nyquist went around him too but he didn't score because he's nyquist right now he sucks. So. trade him yeah, that's right. But no, I, I think that the Red Wings have been playing pretty well in that stretch in the week that was. So, I don't know. It sucks that they lost against the Islanders, but what they played that game, what the game ended against Boston 24 hours less than the game against Boston did, So or whatever. But So, it is what it is. I expected them to kind of lose that game because of the, the turnaround, but... Especially with the the travel that they had to do, even albeit it wasn't very long, but I don't know. Whatever, they're gonna they're gonna win the next game and they're gonna pass the Bruins. Sorry, Jeff. It's okay. I accept your apology. It's okay. Thanks. JJ, go. Okay, JJ's not here. Did we lose JJ? Well, this is awkward. Prashant, it's your turn then. (laughs) (laughs) So give us some analytics. You want some analytics? All right, hit me with some numbers. So so that that five game homestand, I know I'm stretching just a tad past this week, but oh, that was okay. you know that that was probably one of the best five game home stretches the Wings have put together in the last what three four years. 
I mean, if we're talking Corsi numbers, their score-adjusted numbers were north of 58%. And in that five-game homestand, uh, four of those teams were in playoff position. One was Ottawa. So, you know, you're talking about a really, really impressive five-game stretch. And then they laid an egg in New York, which I'm not really too concerned about. Um, I do think Kyle, you know, raised that valid point about Mrazek. He did have back-to-back off starts and then you have that Berkshire Berkshire article come out today saying Mrazek is you know we can't make any judgments on him and I think that's kind of a hit or miss statement but we'll see I'm I'm overall very pleased with the last week we we finally saw what happens when your line combinations don't look like crap and you actually play hockey so yeah I agree with you Prashant I think that they they played really well at home you know, the avalanche loss was kind of a, it kind of took the wind out of you. Um, but, you know, the avalanche are a really bad team. They're kind of, uh, you know, obviously bottom feeder in terms of possession. And they're, you know, if you look at Varlamov, who is just one of those guys who kind of just it continues to make those ridiculous numbers off of, you know, maybe he's a really good goaltender, but, you know, he's a, he's a shit human being, so whatever. But, um uh, the the Islanders loss that was kind of a game we were all I, I at least myself I was kind of expecting that to be a loss just because of the situation that they were in. Um, I like I said I don't remember the Ottawa win, but what did what did you see from that that Ottawa game if you saw it, Prashant? Yeah, I mean, I, so I saw the game, and now that we're talking about it, I, I remember a little bit more. And again, it was more the same, uh, just being it, the ability to run four lines. I think the Wings haven't really been able to consistently do that due to the fact that they've got either poor line chemistry or this or that. But I think when you find so the Wings finally had those line combinations roll, and they, had, they were able to go with all four lines, I think one of the big takeaways I had is just from that Ottawa game and then moving forward is the impact Darren Helm makes on the fourth line. I mean, you could argue that he was one of the top three or four forwards for the wings this past, you know, four or five games. Uh, And he's doing it from the fourth line. I mean, the guy's, you know, he had a game where he had six shots on goal playing fourth line minutes. I mean, that's, you know, that's really, really impressive. uh, And when you think about that, as well as like Riley Shan, who has been playing on the fourth line, that's, that's huge too. So the fourth line really has kind of taken a new identity and in, in a positive way, which, you know, is, has been made with adjustments, which, oh, (laughs) huge surprise. Like, you know, Glenn Denning, he's looked really good as a fourth line player. Um, and that's because he hasn't had Joachim Anderson and, uh, uh, Drew Miller, and despite the fact that Drew Miller is the penalty kill god and makes this team win because of his penalty kill. So, uh, JJ, what did you what did you see? Yes, JJ's back. Well, the funny thing is that we keep calling it the fourth line, and they're not. They're uh, they're the third line. They're the fourth line by, by ice time. Yeah, by what we would like, what we want to call them, they're the fourth line. But they get way more ice time than the Athanasiu line. Um, it's just weird because you don't want to say that Gustav Nyquist is a fourth liner right now, but that's kind of what Blaschel's doing. Um, I don't know. I thought the Ottawa game was, was a lot of fun. I called three and one last week, and they ended up going two one and one because of Varlamov. Um, but yeah, I'm not really bothered by either of the losses. It's just a goalie stole a game from us. And um, I mean, if you didn't see the Ottawa loss coming a mile away, then I don't know what to tell you. Islanders. Yeah, the Islanders lost. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> no problem. That's what I'm here for. 
Don't don't block me. Oh, you're done for. Um, I don't know. I thought that uh, you know we talked about it last week. You know, maybe the the Red Wings should have played Jimmy Howard against Boston to save Mrazek for the Islanders. I'm not sure we win the Boston game with that, but that's hard to say considering how bad Boston Mrazek would have scored 15 goals. <laughs> it was just such a such a weird game, yeah. but. I don't know. I'm I'm happy with the direction the team is going. I think that the adjustments to the lines that they've made have been great. Uh, I like that Ouellette is up and that Kindle is sitting. I don't. I'm holding out hope that they can see how the team can play without Erickson and uh, and still play effectively. So I don't know. things are things are looking up right now. They're basically playing as as well possession wise as they have um, during their their best portions of the earlier part of the season. If they can keep this up, I really like the. I like our team, as Ken Holland would say. <laughs> That's the thing about the the Islanders game is that Ouellette, I thought he looked good, but on paper, um, outside of possession metrics, which I don't recall, um, he was on ice for a few goals, or a couple of goals at least, or maybe one goal. I can't really remember. Yeah, he made a big mistake on... He did make a, he did make a mistake. Yeah, but, I mean, like like we said before, the team was, like, and it sounds like a shitty narrative, and we make it all the time, but the team was absolutely exhausted in that game. And, you know, I, I, I think that it was pretty much evident with that game. So, um, I like Ouellette. He made a really good play in, in the Boston game, a couple of them, actually. So, um, I like him in the lineup over Erickson, and it's not even close, so... What I like about Ouellette, especially in the Boston game, was that he was paired with Marchenko, mm-hmm. and they were behind Glendening, Shea, and Helm. Yeah, they did and a really that good line was matched up against the only Boston line that's actually dangerous, which is Brad Marchand's line, and they won that matchup. Without without Bergeron, because if yeah. Bergeron was in that game, it's probably way different, but oh, absolutely. Whatever. it doesn't matter, because he wasn't in the lineup, and it doesn't matter. So. <laughs> yeah, screw them. We might have had to do it differently if it wasn't, but... The Brad Marsh online was still a good NHL line that was matched up against by essentially two rookie defensemen and a defensive-minded trio of forwards. So the concept of the, and we've called it like Glennie Magic all season long, the, the shutdown line, is possible that they, they can actually put a shutdown line out there uh, whose purpose is to, to close out the, the very best lines that can still actually win a possession battle. And that's beautiful because that that opens up Tatsuki and Zetterberg to do their thing. Yes. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I had a segue, and then you guys kept talking, and I lost it. So, uh, <laughs> and then I was trying speaking to think of one. Speaking of, speaking of losing games. It. <laughs> speaking of losing it, now let's talk about Brendan Smith. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brendan Smith. Uh, He's fucking awesome, and Prashanth told us all about that in his article today on Wim. and if you didn't read it, everyone should go read it. And I'm basically going to hand it to Prashanth, and I kind of want you to sum up your article in speaking words in for those who didn't words. read it. That's a challenging <laughs> topic. Just be, be all right. simplistic as possible yes. in a way that we can like, all understand pretend, it. Pretend like you're talking directly to me who still believes in the eye test and is a little slow when it comes to analytics. <laughs> Right, who so, doesn't own? So speaking to a person who owns a Brendan Smith jersey, I do. That is true. People own those. I mean, I I, I need to get one, but I didn't realize people actually owned them prior yeah, to this. I've season. had it since his rookie season. Thank you, Brendan Smith owns okay. one. Yes. So you were one of the guys that subscribed to like that quote I had in the article where they called him a, a Ray Bork t- 
type horse? Uh, I called him a Bobby Orr. He was like Bobby Orr <laughs> offensively and Nick Lidstrom defensively with a little bit oh, of Gretzky and Howe mixed in. A little snow. I couldn't believe I found that quote. Um, all right, yeah. So I mean, Bre- Brendan Smith. I've been I've been on his uh, hype train since about Thanksgiving time. So you know, we all know how he's struggled to balance his no idea offensive risk taking with his you know with defensive restraint because the guy flat out is one of the best defensive defensemen in terms of skating ability probably across the nhl you're not going to find too many guys who are smoother than him uh, moving up and down the ice and and oftentimes he he fall you know in previous seasons he would fall into the habit of either trying to do too much himself or trying to force the play offensively which resulted in a lot of odd man rushes and a lot of noticeable gaffes that uh, made the fan base unhappy. And so entering this season, you know, the guy has 10 goals in 195 games for a supposedly offensive-minded defenseman. He's got 47 points in 195 games. He's not really, I mean, that's not even a point every four games. So for him, none of those mistakes were really, or none of those risk-taking maneuvers were actually resulting in individual or team production. Um, people have noted that he always had nice coursey numbers, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, so even, even in, through the early part of the season, Smith was still, he was a healthy scratch. He battled some sickness issues and by Thanksgiving time, he'd only played 15 games and still only had a goal, three points. Uh, and his numbers were, you know, fairly pedestrian and similar to what he had done in past seasons. And then all of a sudden Thanksgiving hits, he gets scratched on the November 30th game. I don't know if that's what did it or something was said to him, but since he came back December 2nd, he's played 33 games and he's absolutely torn up the NHL. Uh, Yeah, torn up the NHL, not just the Red Wings team. And so one of the metrics looking at, uh, we talk about his five on five score adjusted course I four percentage. So what that looks at is just, It's the percentage of all shot attempts that are taken on the ice at five on five that are in your team's favor. And then by score adjusting it, that accounts for situations where your team may be down three goals and the other team is just sitting back and letting you fire the puck at their net because you're not going to catch up on three goals. So that accounts for all of that. And his number since Thanksgiving, he's at 58.6%. So not including tonight's games, he's, that's the 10th best number in the NHL among all defensemen uh, since Thanksgiving. And, I mean, that's a, that number is better than Jake Muzzin, who's always notoriously towards the top, Victor Hedman, Duncan Keith, P.K. Subban, Eric Carlson. These are big-time names, big-time players. And basically what I'm saying is when Smith's on the ice, He's the wings are directing more offense at the net than the those guys other respective teams are when they're on the ice. Um, and the biggest knock on Smith's always been that well that doesn't really translate to his own production or the team's production. Um, but actually, you know, since Thanksgiving he's put up eight five on five points, which may not you know numerically sound like a lot, but that's more than Drew Doughty, Hampus Lindholm, Kevin Shattenkirk, guys who have been rumored to be on the trading block or higher level defensemen. So. He's really taken his game to the next level. And I think the real stark comparison or contrast happens when you take his numbers and then look at them relative to the rest of the Red Wings defensemen, and he blows them out of the water. Uh, There was a point in time earlier in the season, I think it was about mid-January, where when the Wings were on the ice, or when he was on the ice, the Wings were plus 6.2% in scoring chances for at 5-on-5. 
and no other defenseman was above zero. So he was the only defenseman positively contributing to scoring chances. Everybody else was in minus. And so that really gives you an idea of just how good he's been for the Red Wings offense this year um, in terms of producing uh, not only team production, but then individually his numbers have looked really good as well. And in that article, I include just a, a, a graph showing how his how his impact on scoring chances relative to the rest of the team's defensemen has changed for the better this year. Last year he was at, I think it was 0.42%, and this year now he's up just under 7%. Uh, again, a really, really strong number. So, Prashant, so. would, you, would you say that, like, when you think about the way that he's performed and you look at the Red Wings power play, who... Over the over the past few games, I guess they've they've been all right with in terms of percentage, you know, because they've scored a, a few goals, and that's mostly because of Pavel Datsyuk. He's been really good, but has he produced in that in that form on the power play since he's been getting power play minutes, which is something that the Red Wings fans have really wanted? Would you say that he's been? you know, acceptable on the power player? Is that something that maybe he's not really cut out for? Yeah, and I think I think for Smith, he hasn't really seen, at least throughout his career, he's not seen a lot of power play time. This season, he's seen uh, just under 30 minutes on the power play. So you're talking about, you know, a really small sample size to work with. Uh, and for his career, he's around 102 minutes uh, that he's played on the power play. And so one of the things we have to do when we're working with small sample sizes is recognize that our rate statistics or, you know, goals per 60 minutes or whatnot uh, can be significantly influenced by that. But at the same time, you have to recognize that players that put up good numbers in those in those rate metrics and small sample sizes should be afforded the opportunity to have a larger role. And so Smith for over the last four seasons actually has the same amount of power play goals per 60 minutes as P.K. Subban. Granted, P.K. Subban has played eight times as many minutes on the power play as Smith. Um, But that, to me, warrants that Smith should probably get a larger role. I don't think we've seen enough this season to really say that Smith would be the savior of the 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 power play but i think things that he's shown from a system perspective one he's not getting himself burned on shorthanded breakaways like people think he's going to and and two he seems to really find a way to move the puck quickly back to the power play quarterbacks and allow them to collapse down and really collapse down that uh the penalty kill so that's something i've just been from an eye test perspective really impressed with on his uh, from on, on his end, and he does it very similar to Mike Green, who's one of the best defensemen in the NHL in terms of uh, points per 60 on the power play. Jeff, why don't you talk about Brendan Smith? I think he's wonderful. He's got great eyes. Uh, <laughs> he eats the donut really well. Because yeah, there's nothing behind him. Oh. That's not true. Prashanth just told us that, that he's wonderful. <laughs> uh, no, he didn't tell us. <laughs> he didn't say he's a smart guy. <laughs> he's smart at the game of hockey, and that's all that matters. Uh, I don't know about that. Um, so I, I know you touched upon it a little in your article, at least from what I remember, but how much does Smith's play have to do with, I mean, he's been paired with Mike Green and you just said Mike Green is very well, at, does very well in the power play. Uh, I guess that doesn't really correlate to, cause they play at even strength, but just how much does his partner had an impact on him? Cause he, well, we've seen him with Marchenko a lot. He did play some with Kindle at times. He's played with Green. Uh, so, so is his partner having a big impact on this, or is he making his partner better? Yeah, I think part of Smith's uh, uh, ascension, um, 
so he started getting paired with Mike Green on December 22nd. Uh, that was a game against New Jersey. I don't know if you remember. That was a Red Wings collapse that allowed New Jersey to win 4-3. That was the first game they played together, and that kind of lines up with when Smith started to take off. And so just looking at uh, Green with Smith, they've played about 250 minutes at 5-on-5 five five together this season. And when they're on the ice together, they're 5-on-5, five five, course I-4 percentages, just under 60%. It's 58.8%, um, which is absolutely dominant. Uh, when you put that in perspective, considering the, the top defenseman in the NHL uh, carries a number of about 58.8%. So when you're talking about having two guys on the ice together and when they're on the ice, you're producing at the level of the top NHL defenseman. It's, uh, it's very, very impressive. And the thing that I really uh, want people to take away is people were going, oh, no, you're putting two really offensive-minded defensemen together. JJ. <laughs> you know, you know the, the Wings get <laughs> 0.47 goals against uh, at five on five with those two guys on the ice. And that's that's another outstanding mark for, you know, prior to the Boston game, Mrazek's goals against per 60 at five on five was 1.41. So to put that in perspective, these guys were, when on the ice, the Wings were having Mrazek like numbers behind them, whether or not he was actually behind them. So, so you know, they've been really good. It was it was a topic of discussion today, and we don't we don't want to spend too much time on it. But how much does quality of competition play into Brendan Smith's play? Yeah, so quality of competition is a really interesting metric. I personally believe that it eventually will find a way for it to to demonstrate that it matters or somehow or something. I don't really know where we're at right now, but in the ways we're measuring it right now, whether or not you use the time on ice percentage of the competition or you use the course side percentage of the competition it matters only in the moment so it is game seven two minutes to go you put crosby out versus glendenning it matters if i'm right. talking about over a 45 games uh sample size or an 82 game season that effect washes out as you got 10 minutes or you got 10 seconds versus crosby but then all of a sudden you're spending you know 40 seconds versus patrick hornquist now now that's significantly weighted down so that all washes out and so I included a couple of tables on how Smith's time on ice uh, percentage of his competition is 17.09, but somebody like uh, Drew Doughty, it's 17.53. So if you believe a difference of 0.44% is a, or, you know, a significant difference, then that's great. But honestly, that's not a huge difference between the two guys. And so I think as we're looking at Smith now at this point in the season, it's kind of washed out any effect that may have. What Good about point. Uh, <clears throat> overall deployment uh, and zone starts? I know that got talked about as well. Yeah, and so zone starts is probably one of the most misunderstood statistics because if you go to a website like War on Ice or Pocalytics and you look at the ZSO percentage or zone starts, what's that showing you is not all zone starts. It's only showing you zone starts that occur off of a face-off. And that's and what we found, and a guy who's done a really good job is Micah McCurdy or uh, in effective math. What he's shown is that you know roughly twenty five to thirty three percent of shifts for a player start off of a face off. So that means you're ignoring two thirds to three quarters of a player's shifts um, when looking only at those numbers that are available. And so, JJ, I think you split it out. You found that about 48% of Smith's shifts are on face-offs, I believe, and 52% are on the fly, or something yeah. similar to that. Um, 
but essentially, even if Smith is an anomaly and has that many uh, zone threats off of faceoffs, you're still ignoring greater than 50% of his body of work. Uh, by just looking at that number. And when it comes to on-the-fly deployment, uh, Micah McCurdy has shown that it doesn't really vary significantly between players on the same team. And so, you know, a lot of players change on the fly in the same situations. Essentially, you change when you've got control of the puck behind your net or you change when you're cycling in the offensive zone. You're not really changing in a variety of situations. Uh, So it shouldn't matter when you're evaluating Smith uh, entire or shouldn't be a large determinant when evaluating Smith. Well, I mean, I guess the point is that you've never played the game, so what do you know? <laughs> well, no, I want to go. I want to go full on devil's advocate here because <laughs> they're not necessarily on the zone starts because I we don't know enough about that to say specifically how much if half of his here we go starts are not. <laughs> what the hell was that? What the hell was that? <laughs> Jeff, was that drop. you? No, I know to do with that. Okay, if half of his starts are on the fly, then yeah, but I mean, there there's a case where offensive zone starts can have a significant effect. He's got, uh, the raw difference is he has 62 more offensive zone starts than defensive zone starts, and if for the 25 seconds after you have an offensive zone start, you are like 83% Corsi, then yeah, that's going to make a difference. I just don't know how big of a difference that is, but on quality of competition, I, I know that you say that the, over the course of the season it, it washes out, but here are the against you statistics from Stats.Hockey Analysis. Brendan Smith's five most common opponents, and he doesn't have anybody who's played more than 22-20 against at all this season, so this is just a ton of small samples. But Johan Larson, Brian Gianta, Zemgis Gergensens, Matt Martin, and Casey Sezikis are the top five players that Brendan Smith has played has spent the most time playing defense against this season. I mean, that's the 2017 All Star team. What are you talking about? Danny DeKaiser's Woo! five most common guys, and he's got, and this goes from 37.54 down to like 26.38, so it's it's more time. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, Alex Ovechkin, Evander Kane, Kyle Turris, and Louis Erickson. Um, I know we say it washes out, but that's a pretty significant difference in talent level that that it appears Danny DeKaiser is is playing against. So I I know it's really hard to say what exactly the the quality of competition difference is and, and how big of a difference it is. And I know that the common thought among the stats community is, well, it washes out. It doesn't matter that much. But I cannot wrap my head around and just say that it doesn't matter at all because just watching Danny DeKaiser play against tougher competition. And I'm not saying that Danny DeKaiser is better than, than Brendan Smith, because I don't know. And, and personally, I don't care. I just want them all to do well, and we can <clears throat> sort out all the bodies later. But I, I'm just saying that I, I can't discount it. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I share the opinion that quality of competition matters. I just don't know how much. And until somebody smarter than me figures it out, I have to trust with, I have to just trust what's been done. And it's been exhaustively tested between Eric Tulski and the guys over at Hockey Graphs. A lot of people have looked at this saying, are we evaluating this the right way? And if we are evaluating this the right way, then how long do these effects last? And basically what, what Tulski showed uh, in his piece 
is that there's not a significant enough of a variation between any forward or any defenseman in the NHL that that would require an adjustment factor to allow for proper interpretation of their numbers. And so that's kind of damning evidence that I can't, you know, just say, oh, well, I don't believe in it like a lot of people have done today. I don't believe in it, so therefore you're stupid. I have to say, okay, you've shown me numbers that logically and rationally make sense. I have a preconceived notion that I can't seem to shake, but I don't know. I'm, I'm with you, JJ. I don't think you can completely discount it. I just think it's not as large of a, a part of a player's evaluation as we think it is. Fair enough. And like I said, I'm, I don't fully disagree with you on, on any of it. Um, what's his decorsey, by the way? His nah, decorsey is off the charts. It's very good. Uh, so wrapping it up, based on, let's go around the horn one time. Based on your analysis, your individual eye test, and all of the data which you have been able to look at, which is basically everything that, that Bertans has given us, uh, is Brendan Smith a top-pairing defenseman, regardless of whether or not he's on the Red Wings? Everybody jump in all at once. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Yes. All yes. right. We get it. Yes. I think he is. Uh, I won't call him a number one, but I think that he would uh, accompany, like a true great number one, I think he would accompany that guy really well. I mean, just if you just, there's another way to frame this, and is, is he one of the top 60 defensemen in the NHL? I say yes. Top 10. I don't think I'm ready for that. But yeah, if he's one of the top sixty, then he's one. Then he's the top two defenseman. True. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. So one thing I was thinking, and and we can do this quick, because I know we got one more topic when the prospects pour in questions. When Cronwell eventually comes back, are we going to see speculation here? Are we going to see Green and Smith split up, or do you think Cronwell goes with Erickson, DeKaiser stays with Quincy? Like, what what do we think is going to happen here? Well, I think the smart thing to do would be to put Cronwall with Green like they had at, at one point of the season, um, kind of playing those, you, you know. Have Smith and DeKaiser? I would. And that becomes your young guy, top pair, because they're the two best guys on the team. I mean, it, when you think about it, 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 I mean, how long do we expect Cronwall to be the guy, the number one? I mean, it's time to start. Well, he's already not the guy. I know, yeah, he it's isn't. like negative two years now. It, it, yeah, we, we've been a while here at this, so... Um, I mean, if you think about it, I think Cronwall is best paired with a guy like Green where they see easier minutes. Um, I don't even think that Cronwall should see the power play when he comes back, um, not I only agree. because because of his knee, but because he, he's just been really bad on the, on the power play. He hasn't done anything. Um, I think that that's something that you really should take in, in, into factor there is that they're just not not there, but um, Cronwall isn't the player that he has been, and that's saying something from last year. He's not the player that he even was last year. So, um, yeah, I think he should definitely not be playing those minutes with Erickson, not saying that Erickson should even see those minutes ever on any team in any situation ever. Um, but no, but I just... think... What? Why break up a good thing, though? If you got Smith and, and, and Green going well together, why break that up? Because you have Smith showing that he can play those minutes with DeKaiser and be that guy. So DeKaiser could be your guy who you could trust and and Smith be the guy who could take those risks. I think that that's, that's, a, a, good, um, that's a good risk to take. And if it doesn't work, then you change it up. But do you, I think so you try have Smith and DeKaiser as essentially your top shutdown pairing. 
Cronwell Green as your second pairing with a little bit easier usage. And then... Quincy Erickson? Quincy Erickson is basically the third pair that you hide at, at even strength and you just let them play a bunch of PK. I, you know what? I, I honestly see it that way. And and even like Quincy Erickson together, that makes me have diarrhea. That's really bad. So I don't know. You try it for one game. If it Do works, you... you try it another game. If it doesn't, the Red Wings are on a day-to-day basis right now in terms of defense. Do you try Smith and Cronwell back together? They, I mean, we've, we've been for a long time after that playoff run or playoff series, we thought they played well together. I mean, do you try that again? Can Smith help Cronwell not suck? No, I don't think so because it's not that Cronwell sucks. It's just that he's getting there. Like, Cronwell is entering the age of, like, where he should be like an Andre Markov, where he should be a guy. He played with P.K. Subban. It worked for a bit, but maybe it's time to just give him a little bit easier usage um, and, you know, maybe sheltered time on you know even strength and then maybe give him a little bit more time on the uh the power play but it's just i don't see it i don't see it from him and coming back from a knee problem absolutely not i just i don't see it i the red wings power play is already kind of eh so i would say you roll smith green on your top power play point because you're not going to see polkin in there because he's never going to play as a red wing ever again apparently and then um you know, you just give him even sheltered, the Cronwall sheltered minutes on the power play. So, um, I don't know. That's just my take on it. Yeah, cool. you're, not, you're not wrong. Like, I think in an ideal world, you know, you've someone's bought Jonathan Erickson a one-way plane ticket to Russia, spun him around a few times, and he has no idea how to get back. You take, I, you know, I like the concept of a Smith to Kaiser pairing. Um, I like the concept of Smith and Cronwall. I think what's importantly been shown this season is that Smith is the driving force on his pairings. Uh, the only guy who does not have better numbers with Brendan Smith this season is Jonathan Erickson. And that's because nobody has better numbers with Jonathan Erickson. You know, that's really the only guy. Otherwise, every other guy either sees a significant improvement in shot suppression or significant improvement in score-adjusted shots for, um, including Cronwall. I mean, Cronwall, without Smith, uh, sees about 55 or 45 shots against and about 55 for. You add Smith, and now he's up over 65 shots, uh, shots for per 60. Um, so, like, he's a guy that may be able to see a significant boost in his offense. Uh, I do like the pairing with Dick Heiser, though. I think that could be a really smooth pairing. Ultimately, what's going to happen is you're probably going to have Cronwall Erickson, Quincy DeKaiser, Smith Green, which I'm not opposed to so long as you use those pairings appropriately, uh, which remains to be seen. Well, one thing that remains to be seen is how a lot of the Red Wings prospects turn out down the road because we just don't know what the future holds for them. But we can get an inside look from Michelle in our prospects report. The Griffins earned two out of a possible six points in their three-game road trip over the weekend. They lost to the Iowa Wild 4-2 on Friday night with Tom McCullough making 24 saves. They beat the Wild 4-3 on Saturday night with Jared Coro making 28 saves. And then they lost to the Rockford Icehawks 4-2 on Sunday night with McCullough making 32 saves. They're now 3-7 in their last 10 games. And they certainly aren't winning in dominant fashion like they did on the franchise record-setting win streak. The Griffins had several roster moves to contend with, with Joachim Anderson sent down 
down to the Griffins from Detroit. Andreas Athanasi recalled to Detroit. Xavier Willette up in Detroit. The Griffins signed defenseman Joel Schwinnard from the Toledo Walleye to a PTO to fill in on defense so that they had six defensemen. Tyler Bertuzzi was suspended for a game for a cross-check Saturday night versus the Wild, so he missed the game in Rockford. And Jeff Hogan was a healthy scratch on Sunday due to the veteran rule, which is now coming into play for the Griffins, with Joachim Anderson sent down. Who was hot over the weekend? Tomasz Nosek had two goals and an assist, including a shorthanded tally Friday night against the Wild. Mark Zengerly had three assists in the three games, Ryan Sproul had two goals, and Marty Furk had a lone goal, but he still leads the team in that stat and is also creeping up in points as well. With 29 on the season now, he's third on the team and is on the verge of having the highest points per game on the team. His goal was the Griffins' only power play goal in nine chances through three games with the man advantage, and the Griffins' power play continues to be as useful as a poopy-flavored lollipop. Clicking at 15%, their power play is 24th in the league, which is down one place from this time last week. Their penalty kill allowed five goals against on 13 times shorthanded, and their PK is now ranked 12th in the league at 83.7%. The Griffins sat third place in the Central Division last week, but after their performance this week, they slid down to fourth, and their 56 points are now four points behind the Lake Erie Monsters took over the third place spot. This year's Griffins team is significantly less exciting to watch than they have been in the last three seasons. Some of this is because some of the exciting players have graduated to the NHL. I mean, we've seen guys like Timu Polkanen and Tomas Yurko and Tomas Tatar and Gustav Nyquist all come through the ranks. And of course, Peter Mrazek. And without players like that, there's sure to be somewhat of a drop-off. But some of it is also a change in coaching staff and philosophy and just the way the team is put together and run. Von Awesome on Twitter asked me last week for my analysis of how Todd Nelson's done so far in Grand Rapids. And to be quite honest, I'm disappointed. I was really excited when they announced that he'd taken Blashill's place behind the bench over the summer. And the more research I did on him, the more I liked his mental approach to the game and his philosophy and what I'd heard about his approach with the players. However, it became clear to me early on in the season that his insistence on holding on to a face-puncher mentality was going to be very frustrating, and I think it might be keeping some of the more skilled players from reaching their potential. Nelson was a player in the AHL. He played for the Griffins many, many years ago, and it was a much different game and a much different league back then. And he seems to be stuck more in that mindset, and in my opinion, not utilizing the skill and talent that he has at his resources. Whether it be because of the players that he has available to him, or his personnel decisions, when you look up and down the lineup, and you see names like Dan Cleary, Brian Lashoff, Joachim Anderson, Tristan Grant, Louis Mark Aubrey, Joel Recklich, Colin Campbell, Joel Schwinnard, and Jakob Kendall, those are not names that make you excited to go watch Griffins hockey. Don't get me wrong, I still love the team. I still go to games. I still watch them. But this team is missing some of the magic that even the team last year had. And while some of that magic is assuredly because of players that have graduated or moved on, also some of it is because of the coach and the way Nelson runs his team is so different than Blash Hills. And I still miss Blash Hill and Grand Rapids. If I was going to give Nelson a grade at this point in the season... I'd probably give him a C. Chris S. asked me, which minor league goalie, if any, do I see being a regular roster player down the road and why? And this is an interesting discussion to have because currently, to me, it boils down to a discussion between Jake Patterson and Jared Coral. Tom McCollum doesn't have a future with the Red Wings. He's an AHL goalie at best, and both Chase Perry and Jordan Van Padelberge are too far away to enter into the equation yet, at least in my mind. So between Patterson and Coro, Patterson has the higher ceiling, and I believe he has 
an NHL caliber skill set in his toolbox. It of course needs plenty of refining, but I think that the raw talent is there. Coral's closer to being NHL ready, he's played in the AHL longer and is a little bit older, but I think that his ceiling is closer to an NHL backup goalie, whereas I believe that Jake Patterson has the skills that he could become a regular NHL starter. It's not guaranteed, of course, and it's just his first pro season. But just looking at the raw skill sets and the potential that's there, and also the timing, because by the time Jake Patterson is ready to hit the NHL, we'll be far enough down along the line that maybe Jimmy Howard won't be with the wings, maybe we'll be looking for somebody else to be coming up through the ranks. And I think the timing is going to be perfect for him. So of the goalies currently in the Red Wings pipeline, I would have to say that Jake Patterson is most likely to become a regular roster player down the road, as of right now anyway. Down in Toledo, the Walleye picked up five of a possible six points over the weekend, beating the Brampton Beast 5-4 in overtime Friday night, then beating them 6-1 in regulation Saturday, and then pulling off a 3-2 shootout win over the Fort Wayne Comets on Sunday. Zach Nastasiak had a goal and two assists in two games he played, and Jake Patterson made 29 saves in the 6-1 win. He now has a 921 save percentage in 18 games played this season. The Walleye continue to hold a firm lead in the North Division with six 63 points, and they're creeping up on second place in the conference, now just two points behind the Manchester Monarchs and four points behind the conference leader Florida Everblades. In other prospects news, in Flint, Vili Sarajarvi had three assists in three games last week, and he was the third star Saturday night with two assists. Unfortunately, the Firebirds were only able to pick up one win in those three games, and they have only 16 wins and 38 points on the season in 53 games played. Ouch. Sarajarvi is third on the team in points with 32 two, first in power play goals with six, and first in shots. And from an individual standpoint, he continues to be a bright spot on a struggling team. In the QMJHL, Adam Marsh had four goals in three games last week and only picked up two penalty minutes. Marsh now has 21 goals and 38 points in 41 games this season. Evgeny Svechnikov picked up three goals and five points in three games last week, along with eight penalty minutes. Out in the Western Hockey League, Joe Hicketts had a goal and two assists in four games last week, and he was the first star in the game where he scored the goal. He's moved from 12th to 9th among Western Hockey League defensemen since last week, and he's currently 4th in assists among all players in the WHL. Dominic Turgeon tallied 3 points in 3 games last week, picking up a goal and 2 assists, and he now has 27 goals and 27 assists for a total of 54 points in 57 games this season. In college hockey, James DeHaas had one shot on goal and four penalty minutes in two games over the weekend, as Clarkson picked up a 5-2 win over Princeton and suffered a 3-2 overtime loss against Winnipeg. Mike McKee played in one of Western's two games this weekend, and it was his first game since January 22nd. Unfortunately, he was a minus one and had 12 penalty minutes to show for it. He had a two-minute tripping minor and a 10-minute game misconduct. David Pope returned from a concussion this weekend for the University of Omaha, Nebraska, and he played both games versus McKee and Western, and he had one shot on goal and two penalty minutes. Over in Europe, it's pretty slow news right now. Christopher N. has been doing a decent job at putting up some points and playing with the Junior 20 for Lunda team. Up in the SHL, though, he continues to struggle to find the back of the net. Axel Holmstrom and Schlefti get a little break, and he hasn't played since February 6th. Goalie Joran van Podelberge hasn't played much for his team since he returned from the World Juniors. 
he's primarily been backup. And with TPS, Julius Vatalo continues to struggle offensively. His last point was a goal that came on January 9th. And Alexander Kadikin has also cooled off. He hasn't registered a point since January 17th. If there's any prospects you guys want to hear more about or specific questions you have, please send them to me. Hit me up on Twitter, email, whatever. I love getting questions and talking about these prospects. So hit me up with any questions or discussion points you have. And until next time, that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects. Thank you, Michelle. As <laughs> always. What the <laughs> uh, I was just well, trying to thank Michelle. I did, why do you hate Michelle, Kyle? Oh, she's the best. She does a great job. Then why don't you thank her for the prospects report? Thank you, Michelle. You always do a wonderful job. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> one person who sometimes does a wonderful job is JJ with our reader questions. Uh, but he only has the material to work with that the listeners you guys give us. And sometimes you give a shit. And also, why don't you guys... <laughs> go to iTunes and put a little review for us and tell us how great we are, even though I just said your questions suck, but do better. Do better. No, just go give us a good review, please. Yeah, you can say, you can call us fuckwads, but if you give us five stars, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> JJ, what do you got for us? I got some reader questions. Alright. If I don't do a good job, it's because the questions suck. But I... Th- I've got a good feeling this week because uh, we get to start off with a really important, powerful question from uh, Ochk11. Uh, would you rather uh, screw a goat and nobody knows uh, or don't, but everybody thinks you did? I would rather don't and everybody think I did. Now, like, who's everyone? Like, my parents, my wife, or they is it just, like, the everyone. internet? The subset of everyone your parents and wife. So, so like everyone, everyone. That's easy. I would rather have everybody think that I did and I didn't because no thanks ever. So, yeah. Now, that's... is it a male goat or is it a female? No, 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 no. We don't, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, he did say change that to a Tangrady sized duck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're not getting that. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm not fucking a goat. Sorry. Sean, thank, welcome to the Wim Podcast. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay, so we got a no from Jeff and a no from Kyle, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a no. That's a no over here. I don't care what you think. Yeah, yeah you that's four no's. I think it'd be pretty easy to uh, convince people that I care about that. No, I, I didn't mean, have if sex with goat. Uh, if we can convince the world that Brendan Smith is good at hockey, we can convince them that we didn't fuck any goats. But we didn't convince that. <laughs> That he's good at hockey. So. Yeah, yeah. We instead receive serious amount of backlash. <laughs> Ten grade size duck doesn't change anything, though. Shut up! <laughs> no, it might be worse. God damn it! I might brag about that, honestly. <laughs> you would. All right, moving along. Um, oh, an actual series of hockey question. Oh. If you were Steve Eiserman, do you take the chances of Stamkos leaving in free agency or trade him? Eiserman did say he wasn't going to trade him. Uh, but do you believe this is the right move since they haven't agreed to a contract from Acadiani 6? Well, I'll take the lead on that. Um, the Lightning are very much in a spot to be... They could really take, like, and it's not even... They could they could take lead in the division. And, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anybody doubting that. So, you know, when you think about the Red Wings and you think about um, taking, you know, a rental... Uh, yeah, no, you don't trade a player like Stamkos. You keep him. Even though he was 
really bad in the first round. Yeah, I don't even want to say he's bad. He just didn't score in the first round uh, against Detroit. Um, you don't trade a player like him when you're in in the hunt for the uh, you know for the playoffs. You know, I know that if the Red Wings had a player like Stamkos and they were on the brink of being number one, they're still in the playoff hunt. If they traded him, I'd be super, super, super pissed. So no, you do not trade him if it means leading. Um, he would leave in free uh, agency. You take that risk. That's not even close. So. Kyle nailed it when he said Tampa's in it. They got a chance to come out of the East. The Atlantic sucks. Uh, the East sucks outside of Washington. So if, if they were a shitty, shitty, shitty team at the bottom of the league, uh, then, yeah, obviously you'd trade them. But. I mean, do you trade Datsuk right now because you're you know in the playoff, but you don't know what he's going to do? I mean, it's different because he has a year left. But Well, it's also different because he's old. But. Well, I mean, it's Pavel Datsuk, so. Yeah, it's way different. Uh, here's a consideration. Um, you tell the press I'm not trading him for the trade deadline because uh, for the reasons that you guys have already talked about, it's stupid to sell Steven Samkos right now unless you get a mind-bending return that you're not going to get for him. Um, and that kind of just shuts everybody up for the meantime. And then there's nothing that – he didn't say I'm never going to trade him. He said I'm not going to trade him for the trade deadline. So, yeah, you yeah. get what you can out of him, and then if you are sure you're not going to re-sign him, you move him at the draft. Right, and I, you know what? That that was kind of like, that's what I'm thinking is maybe you can trade him at the trade deadline for his rights. For I mean, a player like Steven Samkos, you could trade him his rights for a first-round pick, like even if it's a late first-round pick and a prospect. Yeah, yeah I think you can get that. Really? If I think no, it's you, nothing for for Stamkos, you think Stamkos someone's going to give up a late first round pick for Steven Stamkos' rights at the draft? Are you kidding me? For yes. a week for a yes. week of negotiating? Absolutely. With them? Yes, absolutely. Are no. you kidding me? No, yes. first round picks are fucking gold. Yeah, not, not for everything. Look at Edmund, the Edmonton Oilers. No, it's not gold. Yeah, but who's late in the first round? Like, like twenty one is not a good pick. Yeah, you're, we just had this conversation matter. on a site like a few days ago. Like somebody called Riley Shan a bust because he was the twenty first overall. And like, I was like, that's a bust pick. It's it's not, it's not that good of a pick. If you have a good team, like if you have a good infrastructure to your back office, like it, 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 I don't know, like the way that the Lightning have drafted, albeit they have had some, you know, they've had some top picks, whatever. But I. I don't know. All right, I, but I'm just, I, I guess, okay, who's trading for him that's going to have a high pick? A Toronto. No, or a low pick, excuse me, a late first-round pick. Uh, like he's got know. the cap space to actually sign him as well. I think St. Louis might do it. Yep, there you go. I, All right, uh, so. I, mean, I, I don't think, I think you guys are crazy. Yeah, I, I am I don't, crazy. I, I don't think that happens. So if it does, Red, then uh, I'll, okay. so I'll listen to me right here. three beers. No, let me let me go ahead and let me go ahead and, and counter you with this. So if the Red Wings at the trade deadline could trade for Steven Samkos for let's say a first round pick, which is you know they only have a first and second round pick, they don't have a third round pick. If they could trade their first round pick and a prospect, a decent prospect like Hicketts for Stamkos. You don't do that, and the chance that you could give him a shit ton of money. No. Okay. All right. Well, because he's going to get a shit ton of money on free agency, and he's going to go where he wants to go. If we go to the draft and have like the twenty fourth overall pick, if Ken Holland moves that pick for the rights to negotiate with Stephen Stamkos for a week, 
I'm thrilled. Unless I he doesn't to... actually sign him, in which case, then yeah, that's a big fucking mistake. Well, yeah, but you know what? Some teams are willing to make that mistake. And if you're willing to make that mistake, then that means you have already talked to Tampa. Uh, you've already... Uh, does he have a, a no-trade clause on his contract? I don't know for no sure. no-move clause, I think, right? Yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe that makes things a little bit different, but I don't know. If you can sign Stamkos for, I don't know, 8 to $10 million over... Right, uh, I mean, I guess I guess the only advantages of having his rights is you can pay him more than... Yeah, honestly, what you want to have happen is, yeah, you get that, or you even get Tampa to do the sign-and-trade, and then you give a little bit more... Just yeah. to have that that contract there, but our sign and trade is different, right? So, uh, yeah, it makes it a little which bit. Which is why you'd have to give more, right? Right, but it's fine. I'd be giving. I'm willing to give more if you know he's under contract. But I'm not giving up a first round pick for a week to talk to him. Who is the guy that Pittsburgh gave up like a third rounder for, and then ended up having to flip him? Dan Hamus, wasn't it? Hamus, yeah. yeah, it was Hamus. Yep. Yeah, that was embarrassing. But but yeah, but Sam Coast isn't Ham Hughes, so. Right. Yeah, That's I'm, true. I'm giving up a first round pick to negotiate with Stamkos. He's twenty. He just turned twenty six years old. Yes. I mean, fuck y'all. You are wrong, Jeff. Nope. So, you and the up. DX. Right now. You don't he get scored sixty. Being that for having that wrong of an opinion. I don't know. Uh, but the I next question is about Howard and how do you fix him? Oh God. I know, right? Take him out behind the shed. Yeah, here's a, here's somebody. That, somebody brought this up in quick hits, and it it sounds insane, but I don't know. The more I thought about it, the more I thought it's like, yeah, it's still kind of insane, but why the hell not? Um, this idea was <clears throat> wave Jimmy Howard on the understanding <laughs> nobody's going to pick him up and then let him spend the rest of the year getting his swagger back in Grand Rapids. But honestly, I think that someone might pick him up. Is that yeah, a horrible thing? I think that Except someone might not get anything for him, right? Yeah, right. exactly. So That's if it. Someone so here's the thing. Maybe if, we can trade him for Stamkos rights. You get a shitload of cap space for him. That's what we get. But here's the thing. If if Stamkos, not Stamkos, but Howard, if he went on waivers and he didn't clear, would you be upset? I would be. Yeah, I, I mean, I would be. A, I would, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Let me, let me, let me read it. If he went on waivers and he did clear, I'm sorry. Would you be upset? Because I kind of would be. I don't know. Because the Red Wings don't have a goaltender in their system right now that I feel would be. And he's been god awful. He really has. Just to but, clarify, yeah, that's a huge danger there. Is I don't know if I trust Caro to come up and be the backup. No, not at all. No. And that's the thing so, is like, and 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 that's the thing is that I don't trust Mrazek right now. Like, I, and I might be in the minority here, but I don't trust Mrazek to. Sign Okay. Well, anyways, I don't. I don't trust Mrazek to be the guy who could, like a Braden Holpe, who could start sixty to 70, 70 games in a season. Like, I don't know. I'm just not ready to commit like that. And I'm not saying that Howard is good, and you should really go all in on him right now. You should give him a bridge deal. But I don't know, guys. We're really, I, it, and it goes past us. It goes towards what mainstream media in the Detroit area has been going after with Mrazek. I think that we are kind of setting the bar really high. It's yeah, kind you of don't want to just setting it up for disappointment. I mean, what do you yeah. what do you, what do you hear when you when you hear from mainstream ma media with with Larkin? You hear Iserman. That's the name you hear. Are you really Taves. ready? To, you yeah, Taves. Like are you ready for that? I'm not ready for that. I'm ready for it. I'm not. I'm not ready to say that he is Iserman or he is Taves because Taves is one of the best Sure, but he's 
they're not saying he's Taves of 2014, that he's Taves of his rookie year. I know, like, What but... did Taves put up in his rookie year? Like, he resembles the type of player Taves is, is what they're saying. I like, how we get here from like, Jimmy Howard? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, right. Howard I... Morazic. <laughs> like, I'm whatever, say, Howard I'm Morazic. Not ready to, I'm not ready to say that Morazic is the next carry price. I'm not ready to say that. Yeah, and, and, you know, Kyle, that's absolutely right, because even if you look at Carey Price, right, the, the Canadians almost dealt him in 2010, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it was between him yep. and Halak, and then yep. Price found his game later on, but initially, like, he struggled. We're now seeing maybe a little bit of the reverse, but, you're, yeah. I mean, this is the very first season that Mrazek's a full-time starter. And it's just so scary with Jimmy, because he's been three years of, of subpar. Yeah, yeah so, and you know what's thing, funny is that you saw, you, saw, you saw Jimmy, who was how many years of actually really, really good in, like, a, a no-doubt starter in any on any team. Like, you guys, like, we could see that with Morazic. and You know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, eh, I don't know. Right, I, the concept of lo- losing Jimmy Howard to waivers is, it's that's a, kind of a crazy idea that I'm, I'm not Ooh. necessarily talking Because the, the worst-case scenario there is, like, Arizona picks him up because they need a goalie right now. And then Arizona flips him to Calgary in the offseason, and they get, like, a first-round pick for him. And then, like, we're stuck with our dicks in our hands. Right, exactly. So you really need to and, – and that's what's funny about Ken Holland is that you need to, in this situation – Asset management. You need to manage your assets. So um, I think that goalies are more of a premium right now. I still think that even if, like right now, if you were to trade Howard, you would be getting a, a very underwhelming, in my opinion, you'd be getting underwhelm- an underwhelming return. In most, you know, fan size, you'd probably be getting a great return because you got rid of his contract. But you really need to understand that, you know, his contract right now, it's not very great, but um, it's not like a Jonathan Erickson type deal where he has never really been that great. You need to value it. More at at set that one year. Yeah, well, I mean, whatever. But it's just I don't know. He he's a starter on pretty much. You know, you look at Calgary. He's a starter on that team. That's easy. So I don't know if Calgary wants to trade Hoodler for Howard. Then yeah, do it. To fix Howard, what you got to do is you got to get him wins. I don't care how it happens. If I uh, I think I might try to see if I can get a condi- get into a conditioning stint in Grand Rapids just to get some yeah, wins for sure. Um, I don't know if the league will necessarily go for that because he's not hurt or anything. It's not exactly like he hasn't been playing, but screw it. I mean, teams try to cheat all the time. Might as well give it an op- give it an opportunity. It's not like they're going to take a draft pick from us for trying to send Jimmy Howard on I mean, a condition. They, they let Bernier go down earlier in the year, right? Yeah. Worst case scenario is they say no and we have to play him in actual NHL games. And be hilarious if he went to Grand Rapids. To pick him up. Yeah, yeah you just Grand Rapids streak. You know what's funny is that most fans, like like the casual fans, would think like, "Oh, he's gone forever." It's like, no, it's just a conditioning stint. Chill out. Yeah, screw those casual fans. Fuck them. You know, goalies do this all the time. I mean, even the elite goalies have these bad stretches. They'll get out of it. I don't think people understand. People think it's the end of the world. Right, and nobody wants to accept that. Yeah, I mean, Mrazek has like, and the way that you think about Mrazek is that. He is a guy who has been really good at, you know, even strength. And that's something that kind of tells you, hey, you know, this guy could be for real. But y- y- you just don't know with that small of a sample size. So I think he's for real. I believe in him. All right. Going back to uh, Smith real quick. Uh, Talking about if he continues to do well this year and next, uh, what does he get on his next contract? 
seven million dollars. Yeah, if give he them, give him all the money. No, seven million. No, um, I think that if he keeps up at the pace that he's at in terms of points, because I think that points produce money. <laughs> um, you know, I think that if he doesn't produce at a super high level in terms of points, then you get him at a really good deal. But if he you know, I, you know what? I might be talking Four about half. half. You might be no, talking. No, I completely agree with Kyle. I think if he, you know, finishes at this year between twenty and twenty-five, throws up another twenty to thirty next year, you're talking around probably three and a half to four million AAV there. If you go above forty, now you're talking, you know, north of four point five mil. So it's it's really whatever production he's going to do and. Uh, I think that's going to be that. That'll completely determine his contract because, unfortunately, points is what drives contracts. Because right. so. a lot of teams go by like, and, and you know, this isn't a thing that isn't really made public. But teams, a lot of teams go by points per per dollar, and you know, like they they really do judge players by how their points are produced. And you know, you could have the best um analytics team in the world but you know if you're not produ- producing on points then you know you look at Erickson I mean whatever but and that's why I was going to backpedal on the fact that maybe they do give him a ridiculous contract like Erickson's but in that case I would give him what Erickson gets paid over the amount that Erickson you know had got I would do that in a heartbeat but I don't know if that's the case with Brendan Smith so is he an RFA still or a UFA after his deal uh, he would be UFA, wouldn't he? Yeah, he should be a UFA. He wouldn't be an RFA. Yeah, he would be. Yeah, he would be UFA. So, um, yeah, I was about to say we're talking like points productions, but Jonathan Erickson put up thirteen points the year he got four point two five million. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is that Loyalty. he should have he should have got he should no he should have gotten Erickson's deal after the year that they signed him to a whatever you want to call it a bridge deal. So, um. And Erickson shouldn't have got that to begin with, but you know, whatever. So, I think we should probably expect Smith would get if he continues to play like this, he'll get four and a half or more, which is fine if he got four and a half. But I don't know if I, yeah. unless he went on some surge, I don't know. He will. I hope so. Right. Smith. Okay. All right. I, I, I like it. I like it. Let's go. Red Wings superlatives. Let's go uh, real quick on this. Top ten Red Wings high school yearbook uh, most likely to come to, to become president. Uh, Dylan Larkin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Larkin for sure. He, but yeah, yeah. Drew Miller. No, I say Datsuk. I say Datsuk. I'm no, go Datsuk can't. He's not American. He's American. I'm gonna say. Enough. I'm gonna say no, Datsuk. He no, plays for an American amendment. team. Don't care. Have you ever I'm, seen Dem- Demolition Man? Schwarzenegger Amendment. It counts. It's Never Dat- seen it. It's Datsuk. God, you're bad. Uh, most likely to be the next American Idol. It's definitely not. Do they have to be American? Tatar. No, they're just going to be on American Idol. Marazic. It's Larkin. He's got the boyish look. It's Tatar. Most likely to become a farmer. It's a Kaiser. That's easy. <laughs> yeah, that's the Kaiser. Kaiser. I had Quincy. No, that's Lumberjack. True. Oh, no, I had Quincy for the next one. Most likely to live in a van down by the river. <laughs> that's Quincy. That's Quincy. That's for sure, for sure. Darren Helm was my farmer. That's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Quincy's the kind of guy who's living in the van. He's pulling out a burger out of his beard and eating <laughs> A burger. <laughs> Beard. Most likely to become a talk show host. Cronwall. Johan Franzen. I think Franzen's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. Franzen's fantastic. He has, the, he has that soft voice, but you know, so does so does Franzen. So it's, Franzen's it's funny, so it works. Yeah, Franzen is very funny. Most likely to join a nunnery. Gustav Nyquist. Uh, I say Mer, uh, I say Martenko. Yeah, uh, yeah no, that's a good one. 
Marchenko is like secretly super metal. It's Jonathan Ayrton <laughs> for two reasons. Uh, nobody makes you want to pray more, and uh, not a lot of scoring in nunneries. God damn. Number seven is Teacher's Pet. That's Darren Helm. Darren Helm. Luke Glendening. Oh, Helm. Yeah, Helm. Glendening. Darren Helm. Oh, I got Cromwell. Okay, yeah, that too. Most environmentally conscious. Kindle? <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't waste paper. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it, JJ. You're too good at this. <laughs> All right. Uh, cutest couple. Oh, that's easy. That's, uh, that's, that's. Datsuk and Zetterberg. Yeah, it's your uh, turn. It has to be. And then uh, last one, most accident prone. <laughs> where do we where do we start with this one? <laughs> Quincy and No, it's gotta be Erickson. There's only one answer here. I mean Yeah, it's Erickson and, and, and it's Erickson and Cronwell. Okay. All right, yeah. fine. Fine. There's, there's one answer here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Al James wants to know what weaknesses do you see in Polkanen's game to to justify keeping him out? Well, if you don't score, you can't play. So, you know, I could go on this for a while. I had a whole entire article about it. Um, and the way, yeah, the way that Blashill made it sound is that if you aren't scoring, then you're not playing your role. But if you're not, I don't know. He basically said that he needs to be like Tatar and Nyquist, who aren't scoring very much right now in order to earn ice time and he's not scoring very much right now and he's earning zero ice time so I don't really know how to say anything about Polkanen all I know is that the entire organization is absolutely derailing him as a player right now so I don't know you gotta have experience to get the job you gotta have the job to get the experience That's exactly it's just right it's now. it's too much like they are fucking everything up with him right now he needs to be a guy that How well they've been playing? Who do you pull? I mean, look at the fourth line players. I mean, I don't know. Like well, we talked earlier, the fourth line's been really good. They have been They're really playing good. their role. They're doing a good job. I mean, look you would how... you would take Yurko out and you'd put him on that third line. Like, I mean, yeah, Yurko has that's the scoring, answer. So but... Put a shot. Like, give him a shot. So pull Yurko out for one or two games and give him. But a I don't want to pull out Yurko. So <sighs> whatever. Then just, trade just, it. Just Honestly, put on a Yurko out Honestly, then. Then fucking trade him before his his trade value is absolutely dwindled. Hey, here here's the thing: trade him and Ulet for Nayil Yakupov. There you go. Yeah, sure. no, or just sit him and he can learn and fucking deal nope. with it. No, he's not learning. Just give Richards some days off. Right, exactly. like Richards isn't going to be back next year. So, and yeah. and that thing yeah. is that Richards Helm's going to be gone next year. There's going to be a couple spots open for Richards him. Richards hasn't been all that good the past few games in terms of scoring. So, and he's neither a is old veteran. Neither is Larkin, so... Yeah, there's Larkin. Trade Larkin. No. For Neil Yakupov. No. <laughs> you trade him for Shane Gostaspair and Ivan Provorov. No. And, and a first-round pick. Yeah, can we do that? Fuck you guys. This is a bad, this is a bad question. <laughs> no, I mean, if we answer his question, right? You know, the, the one thing is that Polkanen fits that mold of uh, Tatar and Nyquist, but the difference for him, and I think he's more similar to Nyquist than he is to... To Tatar is that he can't create his own shot. No, he the can't. The problem is they're doing exactly what you said, Kyle, and that they're putting him with people who also can't create shots for him. Right. So if you want to maximize his effectiveness, you need to put him with guys who can create shots for him. Right. I, Datsuk, Zetterberg, Larkin, guys who can do that. 
They're not. They're playing with Glendening and Miller. He can't. They can't create shots for themselves. They can't create shots for him. But and so, you look at it, the team can't pl- create shots for themselves either way. And you look at the power play, like they can't create shots. So I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's a guy that you should use as trade bait, and they're not doing a good job at creating that sort of worth for him. So the answer is bench applicator, right? Yes. I mean, he no. fits right there with Datsuk and Zetterberg. Put him on a line with them because they will create shots for him. I don't know. Like, hasn't like he's been the weak link in that like amazing that amazing line. I don't. So, you know yeah, what? I would him. I I would I would challenge you there because I think he's been really good over the past few games. And I don't know with his contract maybe, but I, I think he's been pretty good over the past few games. So whatever. Yeah. I like Advocator. I'm going to go on the record right here and say I like Advocator right now. So. Speaking of the power play, the next question from James Weiss. Uh, we've seen some improvement in the power play over the last week. Uh, is it safe to say that it is fixed? If no. not, what do you think the fix looks like? Do you see any room for improvements? I'm going to throw this to uh, to Prashanth first because he's already smartest. Yeah. He's the smartest. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, from my perspective, I think the I touched on this a couple weeks ago that the biggest issue with the power play was on the power play unit one, the uh, the zone entry play is the drop pass, but the, the subtle change that Fershweiler made to that drop pass was he was only bringing, he was having only one option on the drop pass, and what was happening is it was Cronwall dropping the puck to Zetterberg, and so that's slow dropping the puck to slow. So nobody is hitting the line with speed. Nobody is coming through the neutral zone with speed. So the whole point of the drop pass is for the first guy, i.e. Cronwall, to beat the first defender, drop the puck back, and now you've got a guy coming with speed and only three guys. That wasn't working because nobody was going with speed. So over the last, since the All-Star break, uh, they've now gone back to Jim Hiller's system where there's now two options on the drop pass, and what they're doing is the first guy who's carrying the puck through, which now is Mike Green, he's dropping the puck to Zetterberg, who then fires it cross-ice to Datsuk. So you're absolutely now beating. Now you now you have Datsuk coming through the neutral zone with speed going against three guys as opposed to four. So, yeah, the zone entries have led to the power play operating at a substantially better rate. I think since the All-Star break, since they made that change, Power plays at 26.7%. Don't quote me on that, but it's right around there. Uh, so I think that's a huge improvement. As for the in-zone play, I still haven't seen that um, meet the level it needs to, but uh, you're getting more in-zone time because you're not screwing up these zone entries as much. Personally with me, I feel like the biggest faulty on the uh, the power play is the fact that they use Advocator on the screenplay because he's the gritty player. Um, I honestly think that with the way that Advocator scores goals, um, he should be the guy that maybe is shooting a puck. And that's I, I've, I've held that opinion for a while. Yes, he's had a high shooting percentage. Um, yes, maybe he's not that great of a player, but maybe he should be a guy that is um, in that low slot area and shooting the puck. Um I think that might do something for them. Put someone else. He's a pretty good guy who uh, has a pretty good shot. Who's yeah. sitting on a bench. He might fit in the slot. And, and you know what? And, you, <laughs> and you, you can call me. You can call me crazy for this, but you're crazy. You call me crazy. That's fine. Um, maybe put a guy like a, who's the the biggest asshole on the team, Erickson. Maybe you should put him in front of the net. <laughs> 
and then take put the jar in front of exactly. Me that's exactly what I'm saying. Put, ch- put yeah, nuts. It was on, terrible. Put, I know. You know what they should do? They should play Jimmy Howard as the net front. Okay, well you can't do that, but <laughs> nothing you, but goals there. If, if you put Erickson in front of the net, you're putting the biggest body in front of that, which is what you want. The guy who can be gritty. He's more gritty than you know than than Ablocator is. You know, looking outside of fighting and all that stuff. You know. Maybe that's a maybe it's it, it's a crazy idea, but isn't Boston a Because here's the yeah. thing: he was terrible a, in front. They haven't done that in years. Having a huge guy in front of the net is not a good idea. Holmstrom yeah. was not that huge. He was wide, but he wasn't that big. Um, you know who one of the best net front men in the entire league is right now? Yuri Hudler. Hudler, yeah. You don't have to be that big to block the vision. You just have to be, like be really good at the angles. So, because it specifically helps to be a little smaller so that, unlike Advocator, you're not blocking half the damn shots that come your way. Because that's what happens, they keep hitting Advocator. Yeah, and then the second aspect that everyone seems to neglect with the net front guy is you have to be able to then retrieve the puck. Right. Right? This is why Shahan fails so much as being a net front presence, because he's big, but he has a slow first step. So when the second power play unit subbed in Helm to be the net front guy, he's a lot quicker to that puck. So... He's keeping more plays alive after that first shot. Yeah, because, you know, not only are you screening, you have to, you're you're the first guy getting to that puck. So I, I think that's another big thing. That's why I would never put Erickson, but a guy why a guy like Hoodler might be very successful. Uh, well, and, and you look at Adlocator, the way that they kind of set him up is where they will put him on his weak side, and they'll he'll try and like do that crazy like uh, what is it like his. You know he'll try and switch to his strong side, like right in the like right in front of the goalie, and try and score. That's not some, that's not Ablocator. That's not the way that he scores. Like, do you know what I mean? Am I am I being crazy here? Like he'll be on his backhand, and then he'll try and switch real quick to his his strong yeah, side. Yeah, you're talking about like the, it's basically the Shane, Shane's move. Shane's good yeah, it's Shane's move. Yeah, I mean, but it, it, but Shane can't really do it, and right. and, and Ablocator can't do it either. So. Um, I think that's something that the Red Wings really need to address because they've been doing it a lot on the power play and it's not working. So they need to maybe work on that in practice and see who can do that the most. And maybe it's a guy like, I don't know, Cronwall or someone. Maybe well, it's, it's a low percentage play. And what the play should actually be is instead of trying to make that pass, Advocator's too close to the net. He so, doesn't try to make the pass. He tries to make the shot. That's the thing. Well, no, no. What I mean is in the pass to Abdulkader, he's then trying to go in one motion to shoot that puck. Oh, I what I'm it. saying is there, you know, Abdulkader's offering that outlet mm-hmm. to the uh, to the power play quarterback on the boards. If he steps, you know, two feet away from the net, now he can turn and fire the puck to the slot, or he can turn and actually throw a short angle shot on, not trying to jam the puck between his legs and then fire it over a pad. Uh, in one motion that's not exactly a high percentage i think if he takes a step out to the side or two steps out to the side he offers a first a better passing angle for the quarterback and then second he opens up three different options for himself instead of trying to resort to this dumb play so maybe they should put smith in that shot Ooh. <laughs> sure. hey oh all right i mean pretty uh, much anybody gs starkey wants to know is there something wrong with nyquist Think it's more of a slump or something else like the new system. Uh, he started off strong, but he doesn't look uh, doesn't look so good lately. Uh, you know, I think he looks fine lately. I think what we're seeing is what Nyquist actually is, and that's just my opinion right there. I think both Nyquist and Tatar are in slump right now. They both both they both have six goal or six points in the last ten games. Yeah, which uh, is yeah. not that great, but it's still 
not awful. You know, and no one, you know, back a couple of years ago when Nike was at the scene, he was shooting 19%. People don't shoot 19% consistently. No. So you're seeing his drop yeah. in percentage. But the, the big thing I've noted this year, and not that there's anything wrong with the system, but he's just not shooting the puck anywhere near as much as he, as he used to. And he's not shooting the puck in good positions, like, at all. So Yeah, and part of that is I've I've gone back and forth about this a lot with him. I think he's similar to Polkinen in that he also does not create his own shot well. Uh, he I think he did that one season, 12-13, and it's not like he lost it or anything. I think people just weren't aware of how to defend him. And yeah. now what people are doing is they're, they're kind of giving him a little bit more space. They're not getting up on him. Yeah. And so, therefore, his speed is kind of neutralized. He's not able to use his – because, I mean, he's the guy's probably got the best crossover steps on the team. Uh, and he can't use that breakaway speed because people aren't getting up on him anymore. They've, they've read the book, and he's not able to adapt to that. That's fair. Man, that shot he nailed off the post in the uh, Islanders game. Yeah. That sucked. That was big. That's the, the thing he's been good at. He's been stealing the puck a lot more often. He's been back-checking really well, too. But, yeah, it's I, I agree. He's just he's not he's probably not as good as the .84 point-per-game player that, that came up. Um, but he's I don't think he's as bad as he's looked lately, even though he hasn't necessarily looked that bad. Yeah. Um, Moving on, bus number 13 wants to know, if you were the owner of the Red Wings, uh, is Ken Holland still your GM, or would you uh, try to replace him with somebody? And if so, who? I think, honestly, I think that you you give him the benefit of the doubt, and you, you roll with it by the time that you know his contract is up. You don't fire him. Yeah, I don't think you fire Kenny, but uh, Jim Nill is my pick. I mean... You look what he did to Dallas in two years, right? Two, three years. I mean, it's un, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You are right. I mean, Jim Nell has done good things, but, you know, I think that you you might just give him the benefit of the doubt and you just go with, uh, y- you go with what you've got. You go with the guy that has given you so much, uh, you know, success over the years and, you know, you're not pulling Jim Nill from Dallas. So, um, d- is there any other GM that you see who would be better? Scotty Bowman. Is he coming? Is he coming from from? Is he coming from Chicago? Well, no, but Jim Nill's not coming from Dallas. We're just talking yeah. about a. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. Ideal world. I'd take I, Scotty Bowman. I yeah, us. no, it's ideal world. You, yeah, you in an in, in ideal world, you take Ron Hextall. No, I do. Yeah. I, I mean, he's Hextall's definitely done a good good job of uh, getting rid of shitty assets, getting rid of these yeah. bad contracts, which is yeah. something Detroit's going to need to worry about in the next three four years. There's a lot of bad contracts. Yeah, on. exactly. So uh, you, you take you take the guy who can get rid of bad contracts for nothing. So I mean, and and that might be dumb luck, but you know, if we're going by that, then yeah, you yeah. You, you you give the guy that who can. Get rid of bad contracts. So I don't know. Screw it. Idea world. I just give all twenty nine other teams Jay Feaster. <laughs> okay. Now I'm giving him Mike Milbury. That's bad. Oh, there you go. There yeah. Yeah. Uh, beer league arbitration is a good question. Which uh, cupless team currently will be the first to win it? St. Louis, Buffalo, Vancouver, Washington, Arizona, San Jose, Ottawa, Florida, Nashville, Winnipeg, Columbus, Jesus. Minnesota. Las Vegas, Quebec, other. I mean, Washington's the easy answer. Yeah, Washington's the easy one. For sure. Washington is the easy one. Um, 
if Washington collapses, you've got uh, probably St. Louis and honestly Buffalo may be the next closest. Oh no, I dark horse Florida. Yeah, yeah Florida might be my next pick because you Bobby Lou gets hot. Still got Luongo. Yeah, I mean you have the the advantage of being able to unload Dave Bolin to Chicago. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Wingnut uh, says that uh, Merrick versus Wyshynski recently discussed the Calder race. Uh, essentially, Wyshynski stated, stated that if Larkin could win the goal race, he could probably win the Calder. Um, Merrick argued, who's the best rookie right now? To which Wish replied, uh, McDavid. And Merrick said, there you go. Uh, basically, was McDavid out long enough to give Larkin the chance to win it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, unless McDavid is averaging like two points per game uh, it's it, it's going to be Panarin or Larkin or I guess even Eichel because he's up there now but um, he's averaging two points per game now geez the guy doesn't stop scoring the way I mean, I yeah, the way that I look at it is that the, the if you look at the people who vote for the uh, Calder which is the it's the pro hockey writers right sure who is it it's, I'm googling it right now the Pro Hockey Writers Association. Okay. It's the Pro Hockey Writers Association. So, um, I think that if he, if, 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 I think that if McDavid finishes even at a point per game, I think that he might be in the top two. Yeah, I think it's hard to ignore. And, you know, since coming back, he's got 13 points in eight games. Yeah. Like, he's, he's, he's he is the best good. player in this class by far. It's just whether or not his numbers are going to look good enough. But if he keeps this up, he's still got 20-plus games. And, and on Yeah, and I mean, even looking at, like, even past points per game, he is right now one of the more electrifying rookies in the league. I mean, I think, I think it's McDavid if he keeps up his pace right now. So, I don't know. That's just me, but well, that's just... I just said that, too. I mean, I, I, obviously we all want Larkin to win. If Larkin's not going to win it, I'm basically anyone but Panarin. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I want, I don't know, I feel like McDavid's on the path to be a kind of player that I hate, like, you know, like a like a Crosby, because we're going to beat him in the playoffs, and then, and then he'll beat us in the playoffs, but whatever. Yeah, the big Edmonton-Detroit rivalry is coming up. It will. Um. You know, you never know. <laughs> Wingnut, also, I'm going to answer this one real quick. Uh, why doesn't Michelle join you live anymore? Uh, it's basically a scheduling thing. JJ Blocker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everybody's banned. Uh, just... Team Death wants to know, we've heard of Glennie's chirping abilities. Uh, who do you think is worst on the team at chirping? Marchenko. Pavel. It might be Pavel, because he doesn't chirp. I don't know. I, th- I think he's like, I think he chirps silently. Like, he's got that smirk. I feel like Pavel. Riley Sheehan would be bad at chirping. Yeah. Maybe, hey, you know what? Maybe Mike Possibly Green dumb. would be bad at it. It's probably Brendan Smith. Because Brendan Smith's probably got some stupid chirps. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to say Mike Brendan Smith, he's like, uh, shut up. You're dumb. I'm going to say Mike Green because he's like, I'm just here for $6 million, so whatever. Shut up. No, Mike Green is a, he's like, I named a cat banana. He knows what he's doing. No, I think it's Mike Green. That's Brendan Smith. It's, Brent, it's Mike Green. It's Drew Miller. <laughs> it's Andrew Ladd. It's actually Andrew Ladd. Uh, to hear to follow it up with uh, technology <laughs> in the game. Is there anywhere you would like to see new technology introduced, like say impact sol- sensors in the helmets, 
uh, RFID, RFID sensors in the pucks on the nets, uh, maybe cameras. video coverage. We need cameras right on the blue lines to help with the, like, the offsides challenge calls. I would say that it's probably cam- cameras is a good one, like cameras at the Everywhere. goal, in the goal. Everywhere. Like because of what the Red Wings have been robbed what twice this year because of that. So what if, I you would had say, the, if they had the sensor thing in the puck, you know, that'd be cool. On the goal, yeah, yeah. Put some go. kind of chip in the puck, and then like some some kind of sensor on the the goal line there where the the, the net is, and once when the puck fully crosses, it goes off, and you don't even need the refs. Fuck the refs. Get rid of them. Sure. Robots yeah. is the future. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's see. There's a few questions here that we've already answered. Uh, Red Wings 261315 uh, has an FMK for us. Oh, you ready? Yes. Jeff, Jeff, you get to go first. Uh, <laughs> of course. Al Sabatka, Pete Van Zant, and Paul Boyer. FMK? Yeah. I'm marrying Sabatka because he's good at cleaning and he always does that barbecue. Good answer, yeah. Uh, so it's FMK. I'll kill Pete Van Zant because he'll destroy my groin and I guess I'll <laughs> F Boyer. <laughs> At least he'll have the equipment. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna make that joke. Good job, Jeff. I guess I'll go. With the, I'll go with the same one because that's a good answer. Yeah, I can't think of another way to handle that question. Yeah, there's. I mean, you could marry Pete Van Zandt because he's, you know, he's got a lot of experience around groins. But <laughs> I think that's. I don't want to F or K Sabatka. I think Sabatka's my favorite of those three, so I just marry him for that. Yep. Uh, Dirty Cuba Libre. Great username. Wants yep. to know, would you buy a t-shirt that said, I snipped with D-Boss? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, easy. Who wouldn't? Uh, Nick Jensen, why hasn't he played a NHL game yet? Asks Hot as, 91. Because he's not good enough. He's not good enough. He's too yep. old. He's too old. That's it. Like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's it? True. No I don't much. think that I don't think that Jensen will play a game with the Red Wings ever. He's like future Brian Lashaw. Yeah, I don't think he'll play a game. Like easy. Not for the Red Wings. No, not at all. Will, and he, will he'll score. At, yeah. he'll score. He will score. He will score his first four games with the Dallas Stars. I agree, and then it'll be a nightmare. Yep, we will deal with it, and it will be the worst. Uh, will Chris asked this on Twitter, so we don't actually have to answer it because he's too uh, lazy to sign up for a. An SB Nation account. Uh, uh, if Ken Holland makes a trade, what's the most realistic trade you could see happening that you'd actually like? One of the Ducks defensemen. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that, I think the deal it, for Batman or even Fowler. I like. I'm, I. I feel like that might be something that he would go after. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I feel comfortable with any of the trade market items that are on the block as of right now that I feel comfortable with. So. Even yeah, though, like, 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 like the one that you would feel comfortable with is what Keith Yandel, and I don't, no. think, I don't think that the, the Rangers are trading him. So I don't want him. I want I'd Hoodler. Want I'd and want a duck defenseman. I'd want, I'd want Yandel, but for a second round pick, and that's it. We should trade Pat Firstweiler for Mike Yo. Yes. I don't even know yeah, if Mike Yo could power play, but yeah. All right, or, we answered. Now you have to sign up for an account. Our sizzle wants to know who would win in a fight between Abdicator and Erickson. Erickson. No, I'd be Abdicator. I'm taking Abby. I'd Erickson. I'll take the size. I'll take Abdicator. 
Yeah, I've got I've got Abby. That's much more of a brawler. Yeah, for sure. Did we lose JJ? JJ, you want anything on that? Oh boy, he's gone again. We lost him. Fucking technology. God damn it. Hi, JJ. All right, so what if we gave Applicator a machete and Erickson a weed whacker? Well, I'm going with Applicator then because Erickson would probably accidentally use the weed whacker on himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. What the reach? All right. Let's see. Uh, would you like to see Howard play the first game of back-to-backs in the future and Mrazic the second? I'd like to see Mrazic play both. Well, I, I think it's definitely dependent on what game is more important to, to us from a divisional and conference standpoint. How many questions do we have? Because we could segue to the look-ahead with this one. Uh, we still got, like, two more questions. All right. Well, and I want to actually answer them. Okay. On a scale of uh, one to Corey, uh, to, of one to Corey Perry temper tantrum, how angry will you be when Ken Holland trades for Jamie McGinn, and then Yurko and Pulky sit in the press box? Is where, where does Patrick Waugh temper tantrum fit on that scale? That's above it, Corey Perry. Okay, that's probably where I'd be at. Agree. I'm gonna go with uh, Mark Crawford yelling at Scotty Bowman. Ooh. Okay, that's fair. Which is above that. I don't think it happens, so whatever. Okay. Last question from Lurkinoff. Sloppy Seconds, Valentine's Day edition. Pick one former Red Wing from each group you think you would drunk dial late at night and tell them you're sorry and would take them back. So group one, the main squeezes. You have to take one of Philpola, Hoodler, or Stewart back. Hoodler. Yeah, it's got to be Hoodler. Hoodler, for sure, yeah. He would actually I'm, make you feel good about calling him, too. And I, we didn't really want him gone, either. It was just kind of a numbers thing. Oh, yeah, we're kind of ready for it. Um, I might take Philpola back. I think Philpola's a better player still. Nope. But I like Hoodler more. He's less fun. You put Hoodler with your younger players, and you got yourself a line right there. More Hoodler, more fun. All right. Uh, group two, the what could have beens Yarncroc, Nostrazel, Yanmark, and Ferraro. Yanmark? I'd take Yarncroc. Yarn I know Yanmark's the, the nice pick, but Yarncroc's the center. Iron Hook. Good old Iron Hook. I take Jan Mark because he could be a center. Uh, Jan Krug. And the last category, uh, the fat person he dated in high school. Fleischman, Matthias, or Kopetsky? Fleischman. Neither. I'd take Kopetsky back. I'd take I Fleischman. Loved, I loved hating Kopetsky. If you, take, if you take Fleischman at what he gets paid right now, then Fleischman. Yeah, I think he's a reasonable... Kopetsky gets reasonable. paid in, like, drachma right now. Yeah, well, Fleischman also gets paid less than Larkin does, so I'll take that. Well, Drachma is worth less than Larkin, too. Don't care. (laughs) Vote Kopetsky. All right, that's it. So now you get to uh, segue us out of here, Jeff. Yeah, well, we were talking about the back-to-backs and who should start first or second. Well, the good news is we have a back-to-back coming up this week, and we got to do this really quick because this is like the longest podcast we've ever recorded. So in theory, we have three games before the next time we record, all on the road at Pittsburgh, at Ottawa on Saturday, at the Rangers on Sunday, Pittsburgh games on Thursday. Uh, Quickly, JJ, what's the record and who starts the back-to-back? 2-1-1 and... Uh, Howard starts the Ottawa game. That is, that's the correct answer on the back-to-back. Kyle, go. We win them all, and uh, Razik starts them all. Prashanth? Yeah, 2-1, and one, uh, and Howard on the Sens game. They go 1-2, and two. Howard starts the Sens <laughs> game. Marazic, uh starts the Rangers game. Uh, 
skipping final hockey related thoughts because you don't normally say anything i will say happy birthday drew miller you are 32 years young don't come back uh <laughs> he won't he won't this has been winging it in motown radio wait i had a final hockey related thought oh fuck off no i didn't just get it over with fuck go see you next week everybody bye bye winging it winging it winging it in motown winging it.